This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 145, and we are recording on December 23rd. I'm Jen Northington, here with Sharifa Williams, and today we're talking about the big science fiction and fantasy books of 2022. We've got some awards lists to look at. We've got some best of lists to look at. I made a spreadsheet, even though I said I wasn't gonna. (laughs) An epic spreadsheet. Let me tell you all. It's, it's actually, I apparently did this in 2018 and then forgot for four years. About it. <laughs> so when I started poking it this year, I was like, wait, didn't I do this once before? And the spreadsheet already existed. So all half the work was done already. <laughs> That's amazing. It probably just got lost in the millions of other spreadsheet projects you yeah. certainly have. <laughs> truly, truly. I live, I live in spreadsheets. There's no doubt. Um, sometimes for for fun and sometimes for work so it uh, just depends on the given spreadsheet um <laughs> well it's also the holiday season so you know we're wishing happy post hanukkah christmas and during kwanzaa new years to all of you who are listening and everything yes. else that solstice etc etc we hope so. everybody's staying warm out there and enjoying yes. some time with the people they love and care about that's right and hopefully eating delicious things that's always very important part of the holidays super (laughs) yeah snacks (laughs) snacks checks mix uh let's Checks, checks. Yeah. If you are still in the gifting moment, I will tell you that (laughs) Tailored Book Recommendations is here for you. If you like forgot somebody or you want to send somebody a New Year's present or whatever, um, we can help with that. We have professional book nerds who will help pick out books for your loved one. We have a, a, you can gift it quarterly for an entire year. You can give hardcovers in the mail or recommendations only via email email your giftee will fill out a survey and then they'll get books selected just for them and the recommendations only level is available worldwide so that's handy so to find out more go to mytbr.co slash gift uh you could also you know buy it for yourself or whatever i'm just Mm -hmm. but if you need a gift this is a good (laughs) option so again that's mytbr.co slash gift And yeah, uh, let's see. So yeah, we're going to talk about some best notable books of the year. We're going to talk about some news. But first, let us hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tom and's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. 
So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right. So we have some, some, so it's like a very potpourri, it feels yeah, like, a collection of news for today. I'm going to start off with the more serious one and then we can get into the less serious one. So let's start with uh, some, we cover D&D shenanigans semi-regularly, <laughs> I feel like, on this podcast. And there's a new announcement. Uh, this was covered by Game Rant um, by Eric Law. And Dungeons and Dragons is no longer going to use the word race, uh, which I think is a good step forward, personally. This is part of an update. You know, they're always publishing new editions over there. And this is part of the evolution of the fifth edition. And historically, in, you know, genre fiction, race has been used to describe, like, as the article puts it, different types of creatures, right? So we've got elves, we've got goblins, orcs, humans, etc., dragons, whatever. Uh, and Tolkien, apparently, I didn't realize Tolkien was the first mm-hmm. person to use it in fantasy in that sense or at least that's what uh, Game Rant is saying. But it makes sense to me. Um, and it has been sort of a staple used by fantasy games since then. But they have finally decided that it is not a great word to use. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to be... D- D&D is talking about using species instead. Um, there's a whole blog post linked in the article. They're also taking feedback from folks about what other words might be better. For example, Pathfinder uses ancestry, which I think is an interesting choice. Uh, So you can apparently weigh in on a survey. um, And, you know, they're still they're still developing all of this stuff. But I am glad to see because, you know, as we've said before, we've covered how systemic racism is baked into a lot of RPG and tabletop and video game uh, systems. And it's nice to see, uh, especially, you know, a Keystone company like D&D thinking about it 
I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I know that whenever the word is used in role-playing games and, you know, various uh, gaming franchises, that it is always, like, rub me the wrong way. And I couldn't place my finger on why or articulate why necessarily mm. because, you know, half the time it's attached to fantastical creatures and things. So it's not, right. it's not like, you know when you say race as applied to our reality, it never felt quite the same, but it still was like, you know, I wasn't thinking about how systemic racism was baked into some of these games. So I couldn't like make mm. the connection, even though I knew there was something that bothered me deep down about the use of that term for um, some of these types of characters. So I think that this is a great mm. step forward. And like, I don't, <laughs> when I saw species as the, the new term, I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I wasn't 100% right. sure that was the perfect word, but I'm really curious about no. what other people were, will propose. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Because, yeah, what is a better, more correct word that doesn't come with so much uh, as you say, our reality baggage yeah. and, you know, the history of trying to codify race as more than a social construct, as biology, because, you know, it, there is a lot of great research that shows that it's not like that's not that's not what yeah. it is. Um, and and so equating it with biology, which, you know, fantastical biology, but still is is it's good to undo that. But yeah, like what is the right word? It's a it's an interesting question. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this goes next. But a good a good step forward. Agreed. Well, in random-ish news, I didn't even, I kind of either forgot or didn't know. No, I'm sure I, I'm sure we talked about the Mayfair Witches uh, adaptation in previous episodes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I saw this. I think you dropped this in there and I was like, oh, yeah, that thing. Um, so, Tor.com reported on the new trailer for Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches. This was uh, reported on by Molly Templeton. And I did watch the trailer. It's funny because I have such a specific memory attached to the book, um, the first book in the series, because I stumbled across it uh, while I was visiting my dad. He works on a sh He's worked on a ship since he was 16, and it was like, the first time I got to visit him on the ship and I saw it on his table on his desk in his little um in in his room and I was like oh Anne Rice I like Anne Rice and I tried to start reading it and it's a it's a big book it's like a, a bit of a paperback mm. door stopper and I started it and for whatever reason I was a teenager at the time I could not get into it but this trailer I will say is compelling to me because I love witchy stuff of course and <laughs> I I like the atmosphere the vibe it's setting and this piece actually talks mm. about how the trailer is more vibes than story uh because the first book is really hard to encapsulate in like 
a synopsis, like a brief synopsis, which really kind of explains maybe why I was like daunted going into that book. <laughs> like, I felt like I read so much of it and I was like, where's the witch stuff? When's that happening? <laughs> so I wonder if that was when Anne Rice stopped letting people edit her. Oh. That was a famous <laughs> moment in her career. And I just wonder, <laughs> just wonder about the timing of that. I did not even think of that. Uh, I I want to go back and look at when it was published and see if that matches up because <laughs> I mean this this first look at the adaptation does look like at least it's going to be visually compelling and there's like mm-hmm. lots of you know uh, grim dark feelings about it and this is not like obviously this is Anne Rice this is no happy-go-lucky witch story it's uh, all about the the darkness of being a witch the the evil lurking beneath um but it does like Mm. I guess the brief synopsis they do give about this is you know it's about a young neurosurgeon who realizes she's the heir to a family of witches and she's grappling with her newfound powers and there's this sinister presence that's haunted her family for generations. So, you know, it's got all of the right ingredients for me and a creepy witchy story. So um, I'm excited about it. I I feel like I need a new series and maybe one that's Mm. um, the type of horror that, feels a bit cathartic and takes me out of Mm. the types of horrors that exist in reality and it seems like maybe it's it so I don't know I'm I'm uh cautiously optimistic that this will be something I might enjoy you have any interest yeah it seems I mean, it did seem like it had Sharifa written all over it when I was looking at it. Yeah. Uh, I have you. I can't remember. Have you been watching the interview with the vampire adaptation? No, I think I looked for it and I couldn't tell if I actually had streaming access to it. And then I gave up right. my search. So this is, yeah, exactly. This is part of AMC's plus I don't even know I think you can like add it on to other services but I don't actually understand it I'm not compelled enough to do it um to try to figure it out I already spend too much money on different streaming services quite frankly between Apple TV plus and Disney plus and Hulu and Netflix but (laughs) I so yeah I'm not compelled enough to go looking and like add you know something to my already too long list of streamers and that being said it did look like something a lot of people are going to enjoy I it's you know it had some character actors who I was like oh that person you know so that's always kind of fun to see I'm like oh I know who they are I know their vibe uh so I'm sure it's going to be you know some flavor of good or watchable or whatever but I yeah I was never the biggest Anne Rice like I don't know what I think it's too hard for me actually now I'm trying to think back to when you know in high school we were all passing around those books and I read I definitely read Interview with a Vampire because watching that you know the Tom Cruise Brad Pitt uh, Kirsten Dunst movie was definitely like a rite of passage I feel like for a certain generation (laughs) and then I was like oh there's a book I'll read the book but I just think it got too dark for me and I have no doubt that this will do the same (laughs) so I'm probably not gonna seek it out but uh it looks cool 
it looks yeah. cool. Yeah. If that's if horror is what you're looking for and witchy stuff, like it definitely looks cool. So Yeah. I I talked to one of my close friends whose opinion I trust, and she did say that the yeah. interview with the vampire series was actually really good. So I think that if I hear oh. that Mayfair Witches is yeah. also really good, maybe I'll do like a trial run or something. Of yes. Yeah, I was just going to say sign up for a month and then cancel it. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the trick. Um, but if you want to watch it, is, it it's is. coming out uh, January 8th again, of course, on AMC. All right. Let's see. So speaking of random, this this piece cracked me up. You were the one who found this. And I just am sort of delighted by the bizarreness of our our, our timeline. Uh, so on Slate.com, there is a totally normal interview with author Emily St. John Mandel by Dan Coys. Uh, and... The once you get through the sort of jokey bits of this, it becomes clear that like Wikipedia, it turns out, has very specific rules about sources in terms of updating life events. So Emily St. John Mandel, who's the author of Sea of Tranquility, which we're going to be talking about in a minute, and Station Eleven, which obviously we've talked about quite a bit on this show, Mm -hmm. um, has been in the process of getting divorced this past year. And wanted to update her Wikipedia page accordingly as one might when one is a public figure, especially because, you know, she talks about how she's dating and it's like awkward for her girlfriend to like have it be on the internet that like the person you're dating is married still when they're not. And, uh, and so, but Wikipedia wouldn't update it because Emily St. John Mandel talked about her marriage in a Publishers Weekly interview previously. So you have to talk about it in another interview before they'll put it on the Like, what is that? Like, like our primary source material is no longer enough. Uh, but like, like, you would think that like Twitter would be enough of a public record if for her to tweet about it. But she did that and right. it didn't matter. Um so she she now has been able to say in an interview that she is divorced. Oh. Um, and now her Wikipedia page can be updated accordingly. This baffled me. Like, I could not believe I what Wikipedia... Yeah. Like, I get, you know, there are lots of things about, you know, you can't go in and edit your own thing or organizations can't. But this yes. is, like, straight from... Like you said, primary source. Like, why is that not yeah. enough? And I had the benefit of going into this interview with um, the preface from the person on somebody, uh, one of our contributors on Slack posted about this. So I knew uh. what I was getting going in. But I was like, if I had just stumbled across this interview, I'd be like, this is weird. <laughs> like, what's like starting right. to read from the top? I mean, like, yes. oh, these answers are kind of like abrupt and like, and right. so I tried to go into it, reading it from a perspective of somebody who had not, who did not know anything about it. I just like laughed so hard at yeah at the fact that this even had to happen. But I'm glad I was, I was very <laughs> confused, and I I enjoyed the journey. So we've spoiled it for everyone, but you should go read it. It's pretty. It's pretty entertaining. Oh my goodness! So, and uh, yeah, nice one. <laughs> nice for Dan Coys from Slate to to do this for yes. St. John Mandel. That's great. 
Yes, it's public service right there. Public <laughs> <what> service. <laughs> um, well, oh, our last story amazing. is sort of, I'm just basically, I was like, oh yeah, this huge science fiction fantasy movie is coming out and I sort of have not thought about it but I'm like I know Mm -hmm. that Avatar is being talked about everywhere there's so much you know expectation around like what the movie is going to make I think it fell under what it it would need to make a phenomenal amount of money in order to pay off right away what they spent on making it happen but I saw this quirky interesting story about how New Zealand Post has created avatar stamps that are as epic as you might expect for a movie of this scale. And I just thought it was interesting. Of all places like New Zealand, I feel like we talk about all the time, like recently, and I think in our most recent episode, just because it is like the location for all things SFF. And mm-hmm. so I thought it was like funny and interesting that, of course, the New Zealand Post created these Avatar, the way of the water stamps. I still have not seen the movie, so I do not like, I'm not quite as caught up in the energy around it and all of the buzziness because I barely remember the first movie. Like, I remember going into the theater and watching it. And it was a big deal then, and it's still a big deal now. But I kind of feel a little bit like, well, if I see it in the theater, I'll see it. But I'm not like, it's not like Black Panther style, like I need to go see it in the theater. But I thought it was interesting and a fun holiday-esque story to just talk about some postal stamps. Yes, totally. The stamps are beautiful. I mean, they really are lovely. I, yeah, I, um, I remember going to see Avatar, the first one, when it came out, and the theater was so crowded. The last, Mm -hmm. like, we got the, like, last seats available, and they were all the way against, like, the wall, so you were (sighs) viewing the screen sort of from the side, so everything looked like... Excuse me, a little bit like stretched. It was a very bad viewing experience, actually. I mean, the movie was beautiful, but I remember being annoyed then for reasons that I didn't fully understand. And then as the discourse grew around this, I got a better sense of like, oh, right, that's what I was responding to. Like, you have this like outsider coming in and like saving a people. And you're like, yeah, is that really... And then, you know, obviously we have lots of discourse now around like white saviorism and like, you know, not about us without us and all of these things that, you know, are there in that movie, like in the wrong way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this one I was like, yeah, and I, you know, I liked it, but I don't remember understanding the obsession with it. Like I remember people are just obsessed with that movie and like it's beautiful but I, it didn't do more for me than that. And I, so I, I'm a little bit on the outside in terms of understanding, you know, again, like, I know that there are hardcore fans out there who, you know, clearly have been flocking to the theaters to see the new one. And I'm sure it looks incredible. Um, 
I have no doubt that the optimum viewing experience is on a giant screen not seated right against the wall. Yeah. But I just I just can't bring myself to care. So, you know, I that's where I'm at with this. So Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same. I remember some of that discourse as well. And I was sort of like, well, Fern Gully did it before anyway. Fern Gully! (laughs) Fern Gully was better. (laughs) Fern Gully, they are basically the same movie. It is so true. They are the same movie. It's true. One just has a way bigger budget than the other. And more military common propaganda. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you're right. When you're right, you're right, Sharifa. You are right. I love Fern Gully. So that's my movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just just fairies. Well, there you go. There you have it. That's our. So there's some stamps out there in the world. If you want to see them, they are there. There was the conservation theme, I suppose, is what they were focusing on. But. yeah, that's that for that. Oh, and this was, again, sorry, I, I forgot to mention that this was from Nerdist and it was reported by Rotem Rusak. That's it for news then. So we'll do a sponsor and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about books in review. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Okay, so let's start talking about some of the best books, best SFF of the year, and some of the award-winning books. Um, And I don't know if you had any preconceptions any expectations around 
what you would find in, I guess we'll kick it off with the best SFF of the year. So all of those many, many lists, which you, I am so grateful you pulled them together <laughs> and compiled all the titles. Uh, but I, I definitely had some expectations or at least one big expectation, but I'm curious if you had anything um any thoughts yeah. going into the process I was super curious about what kind of repetition I was gonna see and I was expecting a lot honestly yeah. because that tends to be how these things go right there are a few books that like get most of the buzz um so actually it was a little more spread out than I was expecting and there were some titles on there that I had not uh seen before actually there was like yeah. one or two titles I was like I don't even remember hearing about that book so you know and and let's like note that this is very much just like I picked some best of the year lists that I knew had genre on them um they're detailed in the show notes there will be links uh so you know we looked at our own obviously best of the year we looked at Goodreads we looked at New York Times uh Glamour had a list I don't know I was just googling like Washington yeah. Post Vox New Yorker Publishers Weekly I was just like poking around to see what I could find. So I found a bunch and there was overlap, but it was not as much as I thought actually. And I was sort of pleasantly surprised by the books that reappeared the most. It was a much broader, more interesting and inclusive selection than I was expecting. I don't know. Was that true for you? Yes, 100%. I did not expect it to be as inclusive as it turned out to be. I also didn't expect to have read quite a number of them, like the, at least mm. the ones that came up that were recurring um, across lists, because in the history of my reading, I have tended to like <laughs> not read a lot of the books that a lot of people are reading, or I would miss a lot of books that were, you know, published this in the current year and got read by a lot of people somehow I just always seem to miss a lot of books or read off the path mm -hmm. so I was like surprised I was surprised by that and there were definitely some titles that I've been hearing a lot about and 100% expected to see on the list and there were also some lists where I was like this is such a this outlet list. It was like, yes, <laughs> it just 100% made sense. But um, I was I was pleasantly surprised, especially by the recurring titles and the inclusivity of a lot of the lists uh, you used for this recap. So yeah, I uh, yeah, it's interesting. I um. I actually read way fewer of them than normally I do a pretty good job, but I just, my reading brain was even more broken than it has been oh, yeah. this year. So I have only read two, two. I've read two of the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 books that recurred more, like two or more times on the list that we looked at. I've only read two. <laughs> Yeah, I read six, Whoops. which is wild for me. Wow. Because I have not That's read amazing. that many books this year in general. <laughs> so <laughs> I have also felt like my brain was broken, but I don't know. Maybe it was because of some of our um, 
best of the quarter where I did a lot of, to be honest, and Mm. fully transparent cram reading. Like I was cramming a lot of reading for those episodes. And I wonder if, you know, I just ended up picking up things I had seen around a lot or heard a lot of without even knowing it. So I don't know. But or you just was, have exquisite taste. I mean, oh, that's also you. possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I I would like to think that. I would like to think that. I'll take yeah. it. Uh, so should we recap what those books, the recurring ones are? Just sort yeah, of list them out. Yeah, um, Sure. Do you want me to? I, I guess I can do it. Um, although I am, I apologize if I get any of these if I mispronounce any of these names because I did not look them all up. Um, So feel free to correct me if I get any of them wrong. So we have at the top, uh, Babel by R.F. Kuang. And then we have Siren Queen by Nevo, which I know you read. And I didn't read it specifically because you had already read it. And I was like, I'm going to have to talk about different titles. <laughs> yeah, but, that was the one that I've read that I like I was happy to see it on here cuz it's in a yeah. it's an amazing book. Yeah, and now I have to read it. Um and then mm-hmm. this is one I heard about a lot from other places but I didn't read The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. Um heard about that on a lot of non-reading podcasts, which was really interesting. This one was on so many lists. Um and then how you high know Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, what's funny about the candy house is I completely did not hear about that from anywhere. And oh. I didn't know that it was speculative. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> 100% somehow missed the boat on the new Jennifer Egan, which is interesting to me because I loved Visit from the Goon Squad. And I did love how that last chapter in particular sort of went forward a little bit. So I wasn't exactly surprised, except that I somehow completely missed knowing about it. So I don't know what happened to me that I just didn't even realize that book existed. <laughs> but Yeah, I, I never read the first book, um, but I heard a lot about it. But it, it, one, it didn't strike me as speculative when I heard about it way back when um and so it was really only the last chapter okay okay that makes sense so the candy house I guess in the description for the candy house too it says something like you don't have to have read the yeah uh, no goon squad so maybe that had something to do with it but I wouldn't have guessed especially from who I was hearing it about that the candy house was speculative so yeah super interesting that one um and then mm-hmm. there's How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu, which I did read and thought was really brilliant. And I, I sort of wasn't sure how many people would, you know, mm. go for it because it is such a pandemic book. And I know a lot of people are, mm. you know, they don't all, people don't always want to read about the thing they've experienced quite recently, especially when it's very like <laughs> they're especially bleak moments in How High We Go in the Dark and it does not have as much of an optimistic outlook about how humanity, you know, um, you know, just scientifically manages a pandemic. So that was a, I was happy to see that on a lot of lists, but and pleasantly surprised. Um, and then there was Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, which I also read and which 
I kind of put in the same category as How High We Go in the Dark. It has a very similar mm. feel. Uh, they are linked short stories. So that it was interesting to see two of those types of books on this list because yeah. I don't often see those uh, get chosen for best books of the year for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Um, there aren't a lot of them, I guess, out there published every year, but super cool. Uh, Goliath by Tochi Anyabuchi, which I did have on a most anticipated and never got around to reading because, again, it's like a sad yeah. future of humanity story. And I knew <laughs> from reading Tochi Anyabuchi's past books that I had to brace myself for it. And I just never got yeah. around to bracing myself appropriately to read that one. Mm-hmm. So, but really like to see... Uh, Onyebuchi on any list. Such a great writer. Uh, House of Sky and Breath by Sarah J. Moss is so popular on Goodreads. That is about all I know about yeah. it. <laughs> Super popular on Goodreads. <laughs> so I guess not surprised to see it here. Um, no, no. There was The Book Eaters by Sunny Dean, which I loved. That might have been my favorite book of the year. Yeah, I feel comfortable mm. saying that. Really great book. Oh, wow. So good. I, I still have to send you that one, I think. I think that. You do? Yes. I'm going to send you that after the the holiday postal yes. situation <laughs> yeah do not go to the post office do not go to the post office until like mid-january at the <laughs> it's coming to you in january i promise you okay that. that's fine okay <laughs> uh this one i believe you read the cartographers by pung shepherd yes okay I love that book. That was one of my favorites of the year. It was one of the few books that I picked up and like just read. I just read it, you know, which is rarer and rarer for me these years. I was so happy to see it on more than one list. I think it's brilliant and... Yeah, really delighted to see it on there. This next one is one that I had not heard of at all. Another one that I was like, what book is this? Me Too, The Mountain in the Sea by Ray Naylor. I I know I went through the list and tried to like look at, well, I 100% did not look at the description for each book. That would have been absurd. <laughs> but I, I still don't really have a feel for what this even is and how I never even heard about it. Um, yeah. I am. I will say uh, this one, though, it does sound like something I would like. It's there's like high, uh, le- highly sentient and intelligence octopus species oh. situation, oh. which sounds really interesting. And, you know, there's like a military situation. I don't know. It's, you know, it's uh, it's about sentience and it's a thriller, sci fi thriller. So that is certainly that is in my wheelhouse. Um, I just did not know about it somehow. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's on my list now. I do remember glancing at the description because the first sentence said something about the perspective, the f- perspective in the first chapter of the book is told from, it's told from the perspective of an octopus. And you should know that going in. And I was like, Ooh. in 
interesting. Yeah. And then I moved on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating. That sounds really, that sounds like it could be a good read. Um, okay. So the next one is This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub. Again, one that I read, I'm pretty sure for one of our uh, best books mm-hmm. of the quarter list. And I was kind of surprised to see this one, not because I loved I loved reading this, but it was sort of like a chill, low-key book mm. that I didn't expect to see it repeated so much. Like, you know, this is yeah. sort of like the beach read version of science fiction fantasy for me. It's very like... Mm-hmm. Just it, it has a lot of feels, but it's like a casual read. But I, I loved it. So I'm glad to see it on this list. And obviously it appeared multiple times. So uh, and then there's When Women Were Dragons, which I did hear about by Kelly Barnhill. Did hear about yes. it. Never read it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the final title is a book that I did read and really, really loved. It was a short story collection, Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century by Kim Fu. That was when I read, I'm pretty sure, in a day or a day and a half because I just, I, I loved so many of the stories in that collection, which really does not often happen to me with short story collections. So, mm. and this was my first, my intro to Kim Fu in general. So I didn't know that I would love it going in. So good. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess the only other thing I want to say is that I was really delighted that, uh, I don't know if it's Babel or Babel. I mean, yeah, Babel, I don't uh, by R.F. Kuang was, was on this list because I remember being, I, it was one of the books that I wanted, I really wanted to read this year and I just, it just never happened. But it's sort of, an intense premise like it takes place in like an alternate 1800s history and it's about translation like it's a like magic translation and like you know it's it's uh deconstructing cologne you know colonialism and all of this stuff and you know they're like comparing it to like I don't know, Secret History, Jonathan Strange, and Mr. Nero like it's and and you having read all of Kwong's other books like you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to be dense, you know, it's going to be like really intricate and it's going to be dark. Like these are the things I'm expecting of that book. And it wasn't necessarily what I would have expected to see everybody being like, this is on our best of list. So that makes me happy. Like that makes me so happy that like a a really intensely kind of bizarre academic (laughs) premise like that can get this much attention and support. Like that makes me very happy. Yeah, I also heard about that one a lot and felt like, I think that from descriptions, I have never read Kwong before, so I I didn't exactly know what I would be getting into if I read this book, but I mm. remember hearing descriptions of other titles by this author yeah. and knowing also that it would be intense and that I probably yeah. maybe wasn't prepared for it, but <laughs> you know, it's good to see um, a mix of, yes. you know, there, I think that this list leans a little bit darker, um, a little bit yeah, heavier, it does. Yeah, but mm-hmm. there are like I was talking about with this time tomorrow, there are still some lighthearted picks in here um 
a few. <laughs> a sprinkling yeah. Yeah. of lighthearted pics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah, we're all sprinkling. coming out of a dark place. We've we've been through the timeline we've been through. So I'm sure that mm. maybe other people feel the cathartic release of reading some of these uh, heavier pics like I do. But yeah, it was it was such a fascinating list overall even just the the full comprehensive list of all the titles uh even the ones that didn't Mm -hmm. recur it was really fascinating to see which titles spoke to a lot of people this year yeah yeah super interesting and then uh we i i did some logging of the major or the ones that i pay attention to both either <laughs> awards for that were put out in 2022 for science fiction fantasy i will say I was expecting a lot of overlap in this because that's usually what happens is that like the same three books win everything. They win Hugo's, they win Nebula's, they win World Fantasy Awards, whatever. Like they, you do see a lot of repetition in these and certainly the finalist lists. I do think there was more repetition, but I didn't, uh, I did not log that. I only logged overlap in winners and I only looked, I will say also, because limited time, y'all, limited time, <laughs> um, I only looked at the novel and novella slash novelette categories because those novella and novelette, not everybody does a separate one for those. So I just sort of chunked them together. Um, and obviously novel is like the big one. So I only looked at those two. So, you know, don't come for me. Like there were, uh, there might have been repetitions in short stories or other, you know, categories. Um, YA I did not look at. I just looked at those two categories for time reasons. So, um, I was really surprised though, that there was, there was not a lot of overlap. So the thing that I thought was interesting before we get into the actual titles, um, the thing that was interesting was that two authors got multiple awards this past year for their work. So Prima Muhammad won for two different novella slash novelettes. So they, they got two awards, you know, in that category, um, for what and what can we offer you tonight? That was the World Fantasy Award winner uh, for the novella slash novelette category and the annual Migration of Clouds, which won an Aurora, which is a, uh, is it New Zealand? I want to say it's New Zealand. Mm. It's a regional award. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, Canadian. Excuse me. The Auroras are Canadian. The Sir Julius Vogel are the New Zealand ones. So, right. uh, so that was cool to see because I really enjoy, I haven't read either of those, but Premi Muhammad writes this, um, sort of Lovecraftian horror series that is one of the horror series I do read and really enjoy. So I was delighted to see her on this list. Um, and then obviously yes. <laughs> our favorite, <laughs> P. Jelly Clark, love, Yay. love, love, won an Ignite Award for A Master of Gin and a Nomo Award for Ring Shout, which, you know, well-deserved always. Like that dude deserves all the awards. All the so time. many awards. Such a great and versatile writer. Happy to see truly, it. truly, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I've we've got in the show notes the awards that I looked at. Again, this is not comprehensive. These are just the ones that I decided to pick. Highly, highly unscientific. So we looked at the Hugos, the Ignite Awards, British Fantasy Awards, World Fantasy Awards, Harvey's, Aurora's, Sir Julius Vogel, Nebula, Nomo, and Shirley Jackson Awards. Um, mostly, I just looked at what we had talked about on the show. To be perfectly honest, so yeah, that's fair. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, and you know, it's it is an interesting list of titles when I'm I'm looking at the spreadsheet now because I forgot to drop the actual titles into the show notes for what one what um but oh, yeah, I'm seeing it. I had read m- slightly more of these actually uh than I had read of the best of and I wonder if part of that is that most of these came out in 2021 because that's how uh, awards work is that yep. you're usually awarding the year past rather than the current year because obviously not everything is out yet. So like I have read more of the award winners than I've read of the best of 2022. So I, I guess that's my consolation prize. <laughs> that is so funny because I looked at this list. First of all, I had to remind myself how awards work and I was like, oh yes, this is right. it from this year. And it makes one right. it makes so much sense because like I was saying, I have not generally been somebody who reads a lot of titles that get picked up on lists and things like that. And I have definitely, I think I've only read two, yeah, two of the titles mm. out of all of them. So I'm behind on this one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm counting now. I've read eight. I've read eight of the 19. Okay, so. yeah. This is usually how it is. You have usually yeah. <laughs> read a lot more of these titles. And I I'm just... like, where have I been? <laughs> 2022, y'all, was not a good year for my brain, is all I will say. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, this one, I don't think there were that many surprises. I mean, I always, because we're covering international awards, I don't, I always expect to find at least a few folks who I had not heard of before you know so there are a couple um writers who are not uh as well known in the U.S. um or maybe known at all I don't know but uh I was excited to see a few of our favorites on here um obviously a master of gin uh, which we have talked about flowers for the sea by Zin E. Rockland which you loved and which I read because you loved it and which has scarred me forever I know (laughs) I can't believe you read that I I can't believe I read it either quite frankly (laughs) it was read harder that made me do it actually it was read harder I was reading it for the read harder podcast is what happened so oh yeah it's I, I still can't believe I read it I can't believe I finished it, you got <laughs> through it. Jade Legacy by Fonda Lee is yes. on here which makes me so happy because that series is fantastic right uh Murderbot, you know, uh, Martha Wells won for Network Effect uh, for Nebula. And then She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan won a British Fantasy Award, which makes me so happy. I love that book so much. That actually is a book I really want to make sure that people read um, yeah. forever. And then The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. I'm on record for loving that. That was a World Fantasy <laughs> Award winner. So, yeah, some 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 real favorites on here from me. Yeah, I was really happy by a lot of the, you know, even though I haven't read all of the books, like seeing some of the authors that are familiar to me and that I wish all the success in the world was yes. really, it, it made me feel good. I was also happy to see, um, a Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers on there because yes. that was like, that was a book I really needed when it came out. I just mm. needed like a hug in the form of a book at that time. And it, it was the perfect sort of solve or bomb 
for the moment. Um, and yeah, just yeah. like I know I have, I have heard so much about a lot of these other books from you and did a lot of I have to read that, I have to read that because they sound <laughs> so good. So it doesn't surprise me at all to see them here. I was also really happy to see Stephen Graham Jones, who is perpetually giving us new yes. things to read, new great things to read. And yeah, every just like seconding everything you said, like this is a great list. I'm glad we got to talk about some of these titles and awards more in depth over the past year. And mm -hmm. I mean, we'll see if next year, I'm hoping that, you know, there will be more titles that I have actually read. Um, <laughs> I'm already trying to set myself well, up for 2023, like how to yeah. read books that speak to me in the moment and do more reading. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. We were, I was prepping for our most anticipated show, which, you know, we do in January and I was like, how will I actually read them, though? <laughs> like, how will, yeah. I, how will I make it That's happen that I question. actually read them? I'm still trying to figure that out. But but I will say the fact that you've read so many of the books that landed on this year's best of list, I think bodes well for you in award season next year. Actually. Yes. Knock on wood. Let it happen to me at long yeah. last. <laughs> I want to feel included in having read things. Yeah. <laughs> I there's always a lot of overlap I feel like between the best of lists and the awards list That's so true. I think you're gonna be I I think you'll likely be pleasantly surprised but uh so let's see we'll make the the spreadsheet is viewable by anyone with the link so the, the spreadsheet will be in the uh in the show notes so you can see it and look at these titles you can even go back and look at 2017 and 2018 are in here which is <laughs> so funny I was like yeah let me Wild. just leave those where they are you can see my highly on this is not my best spreadsheeting side note this is like quick and dirty <laughs> spreadsheeting just so you don't judge for those of you who do spreadsheets for a living this is not my best work I just want to say that Jen is an amazing spreadsheeter I I will give you you know that that because I have seen some spreadsheets and they are epic, so <laughs> yeah this is just this is just functional spreadsheeting is all <laughs> oh lord well thanks for going on that journey with us i'm like out here defending my spreadsheets like anybody cares. it's so silly it's so silly <laughs> uh, it's a very gen <sighs> moment though it's great it this is. is it's a, a very gentle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I can't believe this is the conclusion to another year of SFF. Yeah, but it is. We made it Bonkers. to the end of 2022. <laughs> we did what, it. Let's go run up the rocky stairs. Yeah. You can do that. I can. That's right. <laughs> I, I can. I can do that. I'll do it for both of us. When it's not going to be, yes. you know, 12 <laughs> degrees outside, I'll do that. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, boy. All right. Well, that concludes today's show. Thank you all, as always, for going on this journey with us. And we hope that your years are ending at least in a good note, if not better than they started. And ho here's hoping for 2023 for better for all of us. 
Uh, SFFEI is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. So many thanks to her for fixing our flubs and making us sound great each and every episode. If you would like more book recommendations, sci-fi fantasy, etc., you can go to bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Remember that mytbr.co slash gift is there for all your gifting needs. If you would like to email us, we love getting these emails. We read them all, even if we don't respond to all of them. Uh, you can do that, sffyeah, at bookriot.com. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, wherever. Helps other people to find us online. Um, speaking of finding us, Sharifa, where are you these days? I'm on Instagram posting mostly to stories at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. I am on one of my semi-regular social media breaks with the exception of Tumblr. So if you <laughs> feel like exploring that, uh, you can find me as Jen IRL on Tumblr. And who knows what I'll be back on next year. Who knows what <laughs> will exist next year on social media. Exactly. <laughs> But Tumblr, I'm, I'm, I have re-fallen in love with Tumblr in 2022, so you'll definitely find me there if nowhere else. Uh, and with that, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.